Hello, everyone. If you're a guest, my name's Steph. I'm one of the elders, one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm going to be speaking from the Bible for the next little while. So um, we're, this is the last week of our series called God Is, where we're looking at um, different attributes of God's character that he's revealed about himself in the Bible. So we've looked at God is holy, God is just, God is love, God is faithful, and today will be the last one of those. Um, like you've just heard, Cap Sunday, next Sunday. After that, we're going to start a series on King David. So we'll be looking at the life of David um, from May the 14th through probably to the end of July. And hopefully that will be a, a real encouragement as we dig into some of the Old Testament there. But the, today's last one of God is, is God is able. God is able. God can do it. Um, last week with God is faithful, it's very important to understand that God is faithful and God is able work very closely together. Because essentially, if someone makes you a promise, it depends on those two things. If I promise something, it depends on my character, my faithfulness, whether I'm truthful, whether I can be relied upon as a person, or whether I just say things lightly, or just say things in the moment, just say things and then change my mind. It depends on my character. Am I faithful? But it also depends on my ability. I can mean it. I can say it in a trustworthy way, make a promise to you, and in every way mean it and be in blood earnestness about fulfilling it. But then due to changes of circumstances, perhaps suddenly I haven't got the resources to do it, I can't do it. So ability and power are just as important when it comes to fulfilling promises as is faithfulness. So it's important that we understand those two things and how, how they work together. Um, but does that make sense? So, for example, you know, if I was, imagine if I said, I don't know, to one of my children, when you turn 18, I'm going to buy you a 4 by 4 Imagine I made a promise like that to one of my children, uh, the kind of thing we do in our family. And, uh, uh, and then, but what, imagine if, you know, that, and I don't know, I got laid off from work or whatever, and um, house got repossessed, all that sort of stuff happens. I could have meant it with all of my heart. And actually, the fact that I can't deliver is nothing to do with my character. Assuming that, you know, I got laid off from work for good reasons and stuff, you know. But it's nothing to do with my character, but it's a resource issue. I haven't got the power to deliver. The power's not there. And so we've got to reckon with God's faithfulness and God's power, God's ability, if we're going to live the life of faith in a way that really gets through and really wins the victories that the Lord wants us to win. So um, this is a very, very important thing uh, to realise. We're going to look at uh, Romans 4, a passage in just a moment, um, just to help you understand the context of Romans. Um, I'm going to read that out uh, in just a moment, uh, the passage. But Romans 1, 2, and 3, it's important you understand this for the sermon, for the message. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is essentially trying to convince his readers that whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you're in trouble spiritually. Okay? It's essentially what he's doing. He's trying to show that um, in those days, the Jews would tend to look down on the Gentiles in a religious perspective. They would tend to look at the Gentiles and say, they've got no history with God. They haven't got the law, the Ten Commandments, the temple. They just worship all kinds of gods, gods of their own making, gods of their own imagination. Look at the way they live their lives um, as well that comes out of that very judgmental, very kind of a superior mentality in many ways many of them had. And um, Paul actually agrees with that. Romans 1 is in unpacking the futility of turning away from God 
and creating gods of your own making and the way that, in a sense, the way that God reveals his wrath to us in that is that he hands us over to what we've chosen. God says, if you want that, fine, but it's not going anywhere good. And that's essentially God's comment on the Gentile world, on on the world that is, is back in those days, the non-Jewish world that didn't have, didn't, weren't part of God's covenant people. But then from chapter two onwards, he turns his guns on the Jews and he says, you're no better. (laughs) He says, you might well have the law, but do you keep it? It's not about having the law. It's not about, oh, look at us, we've got the law. Do you live it out? And he begins to turn on them in terms of their hypocrisy in terms of the fact they're so good at accusing other people of bad living, but when you get under the skin of how they're living, they're living just as bad as everybody else. And he's essentially saying, look, you're all in the same boat. And then perhaps the key, the key sum up verse in chapter 3 is, is very famous. If you're a Christian, you've probably heard this. Um, Romans 3, verse 23, he says, There is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a really important verse. Because what we tend to do as people is we tend to say, well, I might, I might not be perfect, but I'm nowhere near as bad as that person. Have you ever said that or thought that? I might be bad. Or I might not be perfect, but man, you should see the way they live. And what Paul says is he levels it out and he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a very helpful insight there because he's saying essentially it's not about what you're like compared to everyone else. It's about what you're like compared to what you were made for, which is the glory of God. You were made in his image to to enjoy and reflect out his glory. Glory means radiance. You were made to shine. You were made to live in such uh, powerful transparency in the presence of God that his glory would would come into you and shine right out of you. That is the purpose of a human being. And that a human being will be a blessing to the whole of creation by virtue of the fact that they are image bearers and therefore glory shiners of God's own transcendent glory. That's what we're made for. We're not made to kind of live these hidden, secretive, shame-filled, crooked lives. We're not made for that. It kills us. destroys us. So Paul says we're all in the same boat, Jew or Gentile, whether you've got the law or you haven't got the law, whether you've got history with God or not, we're all in the same boat, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He then goes on to say, and are justified, and we're all put right with God, how? By his grace, as we've been singing this morning, by his undeserved favour as a gift, not a reward, as a gift, not a wage, as a as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right? He's saying, Jew, Gentile, you need Jesus. God can only put you right with himself by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And how does that work? He goes on, whom God put forward as a propitiation. A propitiation is an offering that is given to deflect, to turn away the wrath of God. And so God himself put forward his own son who willingly went to the cross to be an offering to take the wrath of God for the sins of all Jews and all Gentiles in his body so that we could be let off freely. God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Faith is that God-given ability to lay a hold of Jesus Christ and say, yes, Yes, I I, I join to you, Jesus, in faith. I I see your sacrifice on the cross. I see your resurrection. And by the Holy Spirit's power, I now understand this is for me. 
It's no longer a vague generality. It's no longer, isn't that good that God did that for the world? Something happens where you say, this is mine. And through faith, you close with Jesus and you are united with him and you become a brand new creation. That's what happens when you get saved. It's very simple. But wow, the change. You're no longer who you were. So it's all grace. It's all grace through faith. By grace, through faith. It's gift. It's a gift. It's wonderful stuff. And so that's the context. He's saying, look, he's saying this is how it works by faith. And then what he does is in chapter 4, which we're about to read, he pulls out a biographical example of someone who lived by faith to say, this is what it's like. If you're thinking, well, how does this faith thing work? This is what it's like. And he uses the example of Abraham. Now, the context is God made Abraham a promise. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. But he made it to Abraham when he was an old man. And at that point, he had no children. His wife was also very old. And up till that point, she'd never been able to get pregnant. So God makes a promise, a remarkable, audacious, scandalous promise into the midst of a very barren situation and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, which actually puts Abraham in a bit of a tricky position. God's promises tend to put you in a slightly tricky position sometimes. (laughs) They do. He says these things and you look around and you think, it's the Gideon moment. You know, oh, mighty man of God. You can imagine Gideon sort of like, and it's like, me? He was hiding at the time. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Well, God said, this is how I see you. Why? Because of some hidden hero in you? No, this is how I see you because this is who I'm going to make you. Yeah? It's because of who I'm going to make you. So let's, read this, let's pick it up. So God makes this promise to Abraham. So we're going to go from verse 18 of chapter 4 in Romans. I'm sorry it won't come up on the screen. My bad. But listen, I'll try to read it well. We're going to read 18 to 21. So this is about Abraham's response to God. We will get to God is able. (laughs) In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust or no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. Here's the key sentence. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, God is very gracious by the Holy Spirit in letting us in on some of these Old Testament stories where sometimes you read them and and it's a narrative, but then in the New Testament, by the Holy Spirit's illumination, you get an insight into the internal process of what is going on in the hearts and minds of those Old Testament heroes. You just tend to often read the story in the Old Testament and you you can sort of begin to put the pieces together, but in the New Testament, you often get this insight into oh, wow, this is what was going on here. And here we get an insight into Abraham's own internal workings and how faith caused him to prevail and be victorious in this um, situation. So let's go through this. So God made a promise to Abraham. That's the first thing you need to understand. right? Faith isn't just, I really want that to happen, so I'm going to believe God for it. Yeah? 
It's really important you understand that. Some people get really in a lot of trouble and in a lot, in a lot of trouble in life because they essentially dream something up that they want to happen and then say, I'm going to believe God. The problem is, is that God has not actually been invited into that in a meaningful way. He's not initiated that. He's not said anything. God made a promise to Abraham. God is, God is what happens is, is that God tends to break into our lives with promises Biblical promises and sometimes prophetic promises that are uh, particularly tailored to our lives. He comes in and he says these things. From that point on, we are brought in to very dynamically um, work out how to believe him and win through in faith. But the first thing that always happens is is he makes a promise. Because without that, you've got nothing to hang your faith on. It's just wishful thinking. We're not into wishful thinking. This is about God's peace. So God made a promise. Now, I love this. It says, in hope, he believed against hope. Hope is a word that's always about the future. Hope is a future word. So what we see is that Abraham's got two potential futures ahead of him. In hope, he believed against hope. So there's kind of, there's kind of you know, you've got two futures, Abraham. God has said you're going to be the father of many nations. So you've got this future that is laid out before you by the promise of God. There's an alternative future, and it's this. We will never have any children. Okay, this is, a, this is a big deal. This is the kind of thing that um, this is. I want to understand. This is real. This is the sort of stuff that would impact you emotionally, psychologically, relationally. This is the kind of thing that can cause difficulties in a marriage. This is deep, real stuff. Don't gloss over it. Don't over spiritualize it. Don't also say, "Yeah, but we know Abraham was a hero of faith." When the promise came, he didn't know he was. When the promise came, he wasn't Abraham. He was Abraham. He wasn't the famous forefather patriarch. He was Abraham, just a normal guy. God called him and God gave him a promise. At that point, you know, he grows into Abraham. Yeah, but you've got to get into it. Otherwise, you, you, what you do is you gloss over it and you say, start saying things like, yeah, well, it's OK for Abraham. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't OK for Abraham. It wasn't OK for Moses. It wasn't OK for Joseph. It wasn't OK for any of them. Their life was dogged by challenge. Their lives were dogged by circumstances that worked in the opposite direction to what God had promised them. It was not okay for them. You need to understand this. Read, read the biographies, you will realize it was not okay. So there's two potential futures ahead of him. The promised future and the merely rational. The promised future, what God has said and what will just play out in the natural. Okay, That's what we've got here. That's how it works. And then we are told, as he had been told, God said to him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. The promise has come so he can begin to build on this thing. Now, we're told this, that he considered the situation. I love this. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. So he's considering two things. It's just as good as dead. And then he's considering his wife's barrenness. Right? Let's, just, let's go. Let's be with Abraham for a moment. Right? Anyone got a King James? Version of the Bible, Old King James. Anyone reading that at the moment? Today, here? Anyone got a Bible with them? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fine. I won't need to say anything because it, uh, there's, a, there's probably about two instances um, where, where the King James is not the most helpful version and this would be one of the two in the whole of the Bible. But none of you are reading the King James at the moment, so we won't go there, so that's fine. Okay, so Abraham considered two things. So here we are. God has said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Here's what I want you to understand and grasp. At this point, he considers the reality of the situation. 
He doesn't go, I believe God, I believe God, I believe God, I believe God. He stops and he considers the reality. If you want to understand the reality of God being able in your life, you have to deal with what you've got. Okay? You can't jump over that to, well, God said. You will be living in unreality. You will become one of those people that no one really wants to be around because they don't know what to do with you because essentially all you do is quote scriptures and you just get a bit scary and a bit odd and no one knows whether you actually live on the same planet. It's not good. It's not, you do not want to be that person. Okay? Don't do it. It's not biblical. It's not godly. Frankly, it's just living in unreality. You have to consider the reality of the situation if you're going to win through in faith. And, and be honest about it and say, well, look, this is what it is. Because then you, then you can bring, well, God said this, yeah, but this is what it is. You've got to know what God's spoken it into. So two things for Abraham. Number one is about 100. So he's looking at his own, he's looking at his body now. You know, I mean, it's just honest, isn't it? You can imagine him in his tent. I don't know if they had mirrors in those days, but, you know, the equivalent. He's having a mirror moment. <laughs> what he says it's what it says he he considered his own body which is as good as dead did he still have baby making abilities i don't know i don't know how's this gonna happen he considered it it's as good as dead honest honest Second thing he does, he considers his wife. She's never, ever been able to conceive. In all of our years of marriage, she's never been able to conceive. Right? This isn't just becoming um, uh, tricky now. This is becoming potentially a bit tense maritally. Right? I'm not sure. If I'm getting this promise, I'm not sure how to break this one to Sarah. <laughs> this God said moment. We're going to get the best date night together we can imagine do loads of really nice things for days and days and days before I break this one to her. Oh, by the way, God said, God said I'm, I'm going to be the father of many nations. <laughs> like, because straight away, oh, thanks, Abraham. Yeah, because she's involved in this. Thanks, Abraham. She's then thinking, well, you know what? I've always carried this thing that I'm, you know, I couldn't quite deliver in this area of what wives do. This is great. Great. This is the reality. He considered it. He's dealing with it. Now stop for a moment and you just got to, what has God said to you that you think it's okay to consider the reality of what you've got first? Even write it down. To consider means that you take time to actually think the thing through. If someone does something, you say, oh, they're a very considered person. Well, what sort of person are they? They're someone who, you, they don't just jump, they, they're thinking it through. This is what it is. You might think, but this is, this is going to make it worse. It's a bit like when Elijah pours the water, isn't it, on the, on the offering? He pours the water on the offering before he calls, down, calls on God and God brings fire from heaven. It's a bit like that. It's like you're pouring cold water on this thing. What are you doing? Well, because when God makes a promise, it's a promise that only he can fulfill. It's not possible anyway. If it's, if it's possible, if it's doable, it's probably not really a promise from God that you have to live by faith for. It might just be like, I don't know, a nice thing that people do in life. 
God makes you a promise, odds are they will at some point, whether at the beginning, at the middle or towards the end, or at every stage, be things that are shouting out, this isn't happening. That's the model. That's the pattern that we have right through Scripture. Even Jesus is the Messiah. But he comes from Nazareth. He's illegitimate. There's all these things that people were saying about. He, just, he doesn't fit the part. He's not even handsome. I mean, at least give us a handsome Messiah. He's not even good looking. That's what the Bible says. Nothing about him that you think, oh, nothing. That's why Jews had to say it's that one. He's just normal. Wasn't the tallest. Just, just which one is it? Oh, I'll kiss the one because you wouldn't know who he is. Well, he's just because this. He's a root out of dry ground, the Bible says. It's just a root out of dry ground, but he's become the true vine. That's what God does. Doesn't look for, oh, there's was promise there, we'll get involved there. In fact, you know what? God loves to choose the weak. God loves to choose the foolish. God loves to come into hopeless situations and say, I can do something there and it'll really glorify my name. That's what he does all the way through Scripture, constantly, again and again and again. So Abraham considered, firstly, he considered the situation. And then we're told that something happened whereby he didn't waver in unbelief. He didn't go at that point. He didn't then say, well, forget it. He, didn't, he considered it all. And then he considered that God had made him a promise, right? And this is the key moment. You consider it, it's all out there. But rather than going, oh, forget that. It's ridiculous. Actually, what we are told is instead that he grew strong in faith. The beauty of that is it's a process. He grew strong in faith. You follow it. There's about, I think about, off the top of my head, I may be a little bit wrong, but I think there's about 20 to 25 years in between the promise and the fulfillment. Now, actually, you'd think, looking at it, surely with this promise particularly, what would time do? Make things better or make things worse? (laughs) In this situation, time is going to make things, it's like every month, every month, There is emotional friction in the home. Why? Okay, not pregnant yet. (sighs) Pain. It's the reality of what it would have been. And yet through this process, he's growing strong in faith. In fact, if you read the story of Abraham, he's quite extraordinary in his quick, childlike, innocent, almost naive Faith and obedience. Even though he makes mistakes. At one point, Sarah says, this is too much. Sleep with my, just sleep with my um, handmaiden or whatever she's called. Just sleep, sleep with Hagar. Because Sarah's like, I can't do this anymore. Maybe this is probably what God meant. You know, it's the same sort of thing. And in, the old, in, in that culture, that wouldn't have been uncommon for the husband to also have children with the... With the, I guess the concubine or whatever that would you know wouldn't have so in that sense you know it wasn't it's not as outlandish as it sounds to our ears, but it wasn't what God had promised. But it got too much. Just do that, and they did that, and the baby was born, and God's like, nope. And Abraham says, if only Ishmael can live before you, and God says, well, I'm going to bless him, but he's not the child of promise. You can't you can't you can't manipulate and engineer God's promises to be fulfilled. You can simply believe Him. And order your life in light of your faith. But he does the amazing thing. You don't do the amazing thing. He does the amazing, always he does the amazing thing. But you say, Lord, I'm still believing you. I'm still trusting you. I'm still here. 
I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go off in there because of fear or there because of bitterness or there because of disappointment. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still before you, Lord. Still don't know how it's gonna happen. But as I remain before you, something is happening in my spirit where I feel I'm becoming more and more convinced that you did say this and that you're gonna do it. Now, what is it? What is it that enabled that growing and growing, growing, growing in faith? Here it is, very, very simple. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's what it comes down to. Can he or can't he? And sometimes things come to such a simple point that you almost wish they hadn't because it's quite stark. You think, well, it's either that or it's that. It's that or it's that. I was having a conversation with a family today that are looking to move, looking to move into London. I'm, I'm, they're happy for me to share this. Um, I'm going to uh, make them the feature of Rev News this week because we need to pray because God has spoken in extraordinary ways to them, extraordinary ways, and has made it clear to them in, in incredible, unbelievable, supernatural ways that their timeline is not what they thought it would be and that they, uh, they had to come much quicker. But in order to get on the ground, they, they probably need... Well, they're going to need over half a million out of who knows where. That is totally out of their hands. And we're talking about it and we're wrestling and we're talking about all the complexities and this and kids and schools and da 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 da. And then I said, hold on a minute, let's just get this straight. The problem is essentially one thing, right? Money. And they look at me and they go, yeah. So it's, yeah, kids and schools, I get it, yeah, emotional, but it's about the money. I said, yes, it's about the money. I said, all right, then we're really just going to have to, God has made it clear what he wants you to do. Either he is above money and mammon and all of that, or he's not. And you think, oh, yeah, it's stark, isn't it? It's stark. You think, well, it's that, or it's that. God has said, fully convinced, God is able to do what he's promised. And they're like, but we, we could have egg in our face if we go for this. It's like, I know. That's, that's the life of faith. I remember some dear friends of ours once, oh, my goodness, Blessed, wonderful friends. They, family in South London, they, they, they wanted to go on holiday, but had like no money. And um, they just felt God said, just go. And they literally had the money, petrol money to get down there. Petrol money, kids, four kids, five kids. Petrol money to get down there. A house to stay in. No money for food. No money for treats. No money to get back. Literally, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Dear friends, I was right involved with the minute. This isn't the second-hand story. I, I was with the minute. We, we prayed it through together and believed God. Okay, it seems like God's saying this. So they went. And uh, they got there on the Saturday and they hadn't told the kids the situation. <laughs> Why scare them? <laughs> And then they went to church on the Sunday. Thing they, did was the they thought, well, maybe the host have left loads of stuff in the fridge. And they, the fridge was like, a few scraps, normal, normal bits and bobs you leave when you go on holiday. They went to church on the Sunday morning and they're saying to their kids, eat the biscuits. Eat a lot of biscuits. Seriously, eat a lot of biscuits. Yeah. And they're hoping, God, please do something. No one comes up to him, blesses him in any way financially. They come back home, he rings me up, he says, I've got egg on my face, Steph. I've got egg on my face. I'm like, mate, and I, I didn't know what to say, what to do. They gathered the kids around. They said, look, this is what's happened. We just got to pray. So they got them praying. While they're praying, the letterbox goes. While they're praying, they said, what's that? Someone who'd been at church with them that morning had felt God say to them, you need to bless that family with, with a lot of money. 
They hadn't responded in the moment. They're taking it home. They prayed about it. They said, yeah, that's right. While they're praying, he comes along and he puts the money through the letterbox. And what followed on that holiday was, I think that happened a number of times and they had a wonderful, abundant holiday. And he got honoured their faith. But there was that moment where you're like, what are we doing? Now there's grace on them, that family, for that kind of thing. You might think, oh Lord, please never put... They, they, are, they are peculiar in that way. But I mean that in a good sense. If you're listening, I mean that in a good sense. Um, there's different grace on different people for different kinds of faith adventures, you know? There was, a, there was a great Pentecostal healing evangelist called Smith Wigglesworth in the 1800s and an amazing missionary in the same period in China called Hudson Taylor who saw incredible provision. He would never ask anyone for money for the mission. He would just get it by faith and then it would just come. And Smith Wigglesworth's comments on Hudson Taylor was, it doesn't work like that for me. He was a really hard-working plumber, always provided for himself. When it came to healing, he'd see tumours fall off people and stuff like that in meetings. There was a grace on him for faith in that area. So we can't all be heroes in every area. But God makes promises to people about certain things, gives them the grace to press into him and believe them and become fully convinced by the Holy Spirit that he is able So it's not about looking at someone else's story and saying, I'm going to try and do that. It's about saying, Lord, what are you promising scripturally and specifically to us that we're to do? And then say, Lord, we want to be out on a limb, believing you, recognising that there will be moments where we might feel a bit silly. It's like when Abraham had to change his name to Abraham. Before Sarah got pregnant, God says, now change your name. What's your name at the moment? Abraham. What does that mean? Exalted father. It's embarrassing enough. Why don't you change it? What to? Abraham. What does that mean? Father of multitudes. He changed his name then. Imagine explaining that to people. What's your name? Abraham. Oh, wow. How many kids you got? None. It's just embarrassing, isn't it? It's just like, oh, no, please, no one asked me my name. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, Abe, you know. What is this, what's that short for, Abraham? <laughs> you know, how many kids you got? None. It's like, not that one again. You live, it's like you can, sometimes you can live with a shame because of what God's promised you because it's not fulfilled yet. And you can think, oh, and you can struggle. I mean, you can, before, in that in-between phase, in that phase where God said, but it's unfulfilled, you're struggling because you're like, well, God has said, and I can't pretend he hasn't, but it, I'm not seeing it. It's not happened yet. And you live there. That, brothers and sisters, is a life of faith. It's, it's emotional, it's up and down, it's messy, it's not safe. It's a whole lot more than attending Christian meetings. We attend Christian meetings to come together, to be built up in the truth, encourage one another to carry on this life of faith (laughs) that we're in. And so I just want to finish by saying that, you know, number one, this context in Romans, Paul is using to describe justification. God is able to forgive you and declare you righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how shameful the things are you've done, no matter how terrible your background is, God is able to justify you through Christ as you trust in Jesus. You may have never done that. But today in this moment, if you entrust yourself to Christ, really, truly, he is able to, he is able to justify you in a moment, to, to declare you righteous, to forgive you and give you knowledge of forgiveness. And as you follow that through in baptism, you will know the reality of God cleansing you and bringing you into a brand new life. You'll know it. He's fully able to do that. Second thing, 
is for those of us that do believe in Lord Jesus, but sometimes you think, Lord, you promised to make me into the likeness of Jesus, and I feel like I am the biggest hindrance to that. <gasps> I'm very broken still. I'm, uh, the way I process this, it seems so contrary to the way you want me to, the way I handle life situations and anxieties, the way I seem to keep burying my head in the sand, whatever it might be, you think, oh, I don't look much like Jesus. Well, here's the issue. Here's the question I would ask you. Will you let the Holy Spirit fully convince you that he is able to perform what he has promised? Because he has promised that he will change you from one degree of glory into another, into the likeness of his son. It's not self-help. This is not sorting yourself out. This is not putting yourself up by your bootstraps. This is not fixing up. This is faith. Jesus, I'm going to believe and trust you that you're going to transform me. Amen. Will you believe him? Will you? And the final one, provision. Provision. <laughs> Practical provision. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not freely with him graciously give us all things? How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Basically saying this, he's done the hard bit. He's given up his one and only son. Will he not provide you with all that you need now to live a godly life? Will he not provide you with all that you need so you can be a blessing? Will he not give you what you need so that you can, you can do the, be rich in good works? Of course he will. He's given you his son. And it's like, you've got, will, you, will you allow faith to rise and say, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to be fully convinced, Lord, that you are able to perform what you've promised. And you promised that you've given me your only son. Now you're going to give me all that I need for life and godliness. You're going to give me all that I need so that as I trust you, I will be abundantly provided so I can be rich in good works and be a blessing to others. I'm going to believe for that. Faith. It's faith. That's dynamic. That's getting a hold of God. And so really, I want to just end by saying, let's learn to pray prayers of faith together. Mm-hmm. Praying without faith is, faith is a bit like kicking a football around aimlessly. It's all right. It's okay. But it's like, well, what's, what's it for? <laughs> There's a goal there. This ball is to go in that goal. Prayers of faith are like, Lord, you said. You said. And we need to get this one in the back of the net. Because your glory is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. That's praying with faith. Lord, don't say it if you didn't mean it. That's faith. It's saying, Lord, you inspired it by your spirit, now on earth as it is in heaven. Fulfill, but I will, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, no is not an option because you've promised. That's praying with faith. That's not rude. That's not irreverent. That is winning through in faith. And sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes you think, oh... All I'm going to do is sigh today. That's all right. Sometimes it's like that. And sometimes you have a wobble and you, I don't know, you might do something silly and you think, oh, what have I done? I've, you know, I've kind of done, I had my Hagar Ishmael moment. I've like gone off. Ah, there's weight. It wasn't disqualification. It's like God saying, oh boy. <laughs> all right, well, look, that's not what I meant. We'll sort, we'll sort it out. Come on, let's get back on the faith track. Yeah? It wasn't disqualification. It was a mess. It was a pickle. There was consequences. But it didn't, wasn't disqualification. All right? Let's get you back on track. Let's go. Because he's like that. He's merciful and he's kind. Amen? Amen. Well, I'd love us to be able to just have five minutes to be able to respond in prayer and in faith. Does that sound all right? Great. Well, I'll try and lead you in that as best as I can. So why don't we...
If you're able, why don't we stand? Um, This side of glory, all of us are going to be living with unfulfilled promises. All of us are going to be living with stuff where you think it's not been done yet. Okay, So that's, that's, that's just the reality of what it is. But we've also got victories where we can look back and say, God said and you did. So what, when we look back and say, oh Lord, you did that, that then fuels the, 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 the things that are like before us. Okay, So I think it'd be great if, if people could just very, very Really quickly, really concise. It's not like testimony time. It's almost like, I don't know, 10 seconds. Something God promised that was, uh, but then he did. Okay? So just two or three of those just to help to stir faith in the room. So I know there'll be loads of stories in the room, but just real quick, 10 second testimonies of something you think. There was a promise God made us. It looked impossible, but he did it. Just to help to stir faith. Then we'll pray into the things that are yet to be fulfilled. So... So I guess uh, this time last year, probably the year before, uh, Emma and I were praying to stay in this locality and stay with the church, and it was becoming to a point where we just thought, no way, we're going to have to move out of London or away from the head or whatever. And um, earlier this year, yeah, God provided us a home, <laughs> um, just about 10 minutes away. So wow. um, yeah, that's, that's great. Wonderful. Amen. Thank you, Chris. It's great. trying for a baby for a, a number of years and we had various tests done and the doctors were very clear in saying that they didn't think we could ever get pregnant naturally. They were like, we need IVF. And yeah, I just remember Rich fasting and praying and being really um, holding uh, on to God for his uh, promises. Yeah. Even when I felt really weak. Um, yeah. And praise God, we've got Alana. Wow. Hallelujah. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, Sneaker told us that story, and we went through a very shortened version of the same things we were told, and they told us to pray, and we prayed, and we've got two now. So. Praise God. Wonderful. Thanks, Tom. That's great. And one more. One more of a slightly different flavour. You think, well, it's a bit of a different flavour. Yep. Um, probably when I was about 19, God, God gave me his promise. He said to me that he would um, tie up loose ends in my life, because um, I think I've realised it today. Um... Growing up with a very fractured sense of my identity and who I am, and this this week he started to tie up those loose ends for the first time. It's tough and it's difficult, but um, God sometimes tells us things when we're younger, and then He brings it to fruition. Amen. Amen. Great. Oh yeah. Great. Uh, uh, all right. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just be before God where we are. The Bible says that because we're living in a new covenant, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. So it's not the pastor, all right? It's not me and my prayer. I'm going to pray, but it's you drawing near to God now. That's the big deal. That's the thing that is really the big thing, okay? I have no uh, closer access to God than any other believer in the room through Christ. We all draw near, right into the Holy of Holies. So, Father, here we are. 
And we believe you, Lord. We believe you. We believe you, Lord. We believe you. And Lord, we often do not know how. We do know who. We do know who. And we are, we are, we are getting to that point, Lord, in various things, Lord, different ones of us around the world, where we're becoming fully convinced, growing strong in faith, fully convinced that you are able to promise, to perform what you have promised, that you are able, that, Lord, height and depth and uh, demons and angels and any other dimension or any other thing in all creation, none of it has the power to get in the way of what you have said you will do. We say we believe you, O Lord. In the pressure, we believe you, O Lord. Against the enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil, we believe you still, Lord. We believe you in the circumstances that shout out, it's not going to happen. We believe you, Lord. We want you to know that. We want you to know that, Lord. And we want you to, we want you to hear that in this place. And we want actually, Lord, thank you that you say that the church shines out your wisdom to the principalities and the powers. We want every spiritual power that is within earshot to hear and understand that we believe God. We believe you are faithful. We believe you are able. We believe, Lord, the promises you made over us individually and corporately that you will fulfill them. And, Lord, we believe the only thing that could disqualify us is persistent unbelief. And I refuse to befriend it. I refuse to befriend persistent unbelief. I refuse it. I will bring, Lord, every doubt that tries to come in, I bring it to you. And I say, Lord, you're bigger. Lord, I'll be honest about every doubt that comes, Lord, but I say, Lord, I believe in the work of your spirit to operate on a deeper level than that doubt. I believe and trust you to do that, Lord. And so, Lord, here we are, oh Lord. Here we are. And uh, I want us to just, just literally just spend a moment just before God you just before God. You can do it silent. You can do it loud, whatever. Just keep it real. But be before God and let him know. Just tell, let him know. If you've been wavering, wandering off, you've had your Hagar moment, repent, say sorry, get back on track. You're not disqualified, okay? You're not disqualified. But just have that moment. Say, Lord, I want to I grow in this incredible ability to, well, I want to grow in my faith about your incredible ability, yeah. that you are able. Yeah. Say, Lord, I believe you're able. For the Lord really wants to minister to just some people just quickly to assure you you're actually quite terrified of things about yourself. Things about yourself. I feel like the Lord just says to you, just just trust him. Sit in his hands. Sit in his hands. He is greater. He is greater. It doesn't mean that this will solve it all in a moment. It may be totally appropriate for you to find counsel and support, but I just feel the Lord wants to speak into your heart to your heart today and say he can deal with you he can you're not too much for him <laughs> he can deal with you you're not too much for him he's got you he's got you in all your complexities in all your funny foibles he's got you he is sufficient he is sufficient 
Some of you, even, you've, even like, you've got conditions. You've got medical conditions. I just felt the Lord wants to know, you to know that they may be real, but he's bigger. Yeah. They may be real. It's not dismissive. Yeah. You consider it, but I feel he wants you to know he's got you. He's got you. And his name is higher than it. Whatever it's called, his name is above it. Okay? Whatever it's called. And that means something. Sometimes it's not quite, no, you don't know what it means in the moment, but it means something. And it definitely means enough to bring comfort and peace. I also felt like when I was preparing um, earlier that the Lord wanted to, there's a family here and you're doing something experimental. That was the word God gave me. It feels like that you are in some kind of experimental thing. And I don't know if the Lord particularly wanted to affirm the experiment, but I just felt he wanted to affirm you. I just felt that it's a good season for you to know his affirmation over you as, you as you're in this experimenting season and to just know that. That will bring the, the relevant assurance to be able to discern his voice going forward. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to sing some songs of praise. Uh, could be that some of the things that have come up, you just know you need to connect with brother and sister or pastor or something. And please make sure that you are responsible about what God's doing in your life and in your heart. And don't avoid interaction with others. Um, God provides one another. It's part of his provision for us. But we can, I think what we'll do now is, there's only 10 minutes or so left, but let's, let's break bread together. Now listen, I know that lots of stuff has come up in this sermon. I actually want to ask you that you don't make that the focus of the bread and wine. Okay? I want, I want to ask you to make Jesus the focus of the bread and wine. And um, I'm, again, I'm not belittling anything that God's brought up to the surface, but actually the best thing initially to do with anything that God brings up in our life is to just go to Jesus. Thank him, remember him, participate in him through taking the bread and the wine. Encounter him freshly in that. Honour and love him. Because when God does all that he's going to do in your life, that's what you're going to end up doing anyway. <laughs> that's the goal, him and delight in him. So let's do that. And then anything that needs picking up afterwards, we can, we can do that. We're doing life together. It's not a project, it's a church. We're here, we do life together. So as the band sings, please um, help yourself to bread and wine.